couple of months ago, I went one day at lunchtime to have a very wonderful and tasty lunch just up the road at Taco Bell. Um, after lunch, I went out to my car. It was parked out the back. And uh, to get to my car, I had to cross this planter. And uh, as I was crossing the planter to my car, I tripped. I faced then a split-second decision that I had to make, and that was, was I going to hold on to my keys and my soda and do a belly flop on the hood of my car, or was I going to toss my keys and my soda and break the fall, catch myself, and avoid some of that pain? As I was going down, I got rid of the keys, but I held on to my soda. And I did a belly flop on the hood of my car. And let me tell you, I do not recommend that. It can hurt. But you know, the unfortunate thing is, is that we do that in life all the time. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. We get angry. Somebody offends us. And so we get angry and we hold on to that and it turns to bitterness and we hold a grudge. Instead of giving that up and forgiving and enjoy the joy that comes from that forgiving. Or we face a problem in life. We all face problems, and sometimes they get us down, and we worry about them, and we worry, and we worry. And and instead of giving that problem up to God, we hold on to it, and we hold on to the worry, and we miss out on the peace that He wants to give us. And we could go through all sorts of areas of life, all sorts of situations where we do that sort of thing. We hold on to what's not terribly important and significant, and we lose out on what really is the better thing for us. Now, this morning, we want to talk about it in the area of our finances. And you, as you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series on giving. Pastor Glenn has, and And he has mentioned The Blessed Life and The Treasure Principle, two books that are available out in the lobby after the service. The Blessed Life is $12, The Treasure Principle is $8. And Pastor Glenn, over the last couple of weeks, has always said that if you can't afford that, you just go ahead, he and Kimberly will cover it. Well, Pastor Glenn isn't here this morning, so I will just say, if you can't afford that, Pastor Glenn and Kimberly will cover it. (laughs) Well, we want to talk about it this morning. We want to talk about the tithe. We want to talk about the importance of the tithe, and to to do that, I want to look at four principles that I think are pretty important as it relates to the tithe. The first principle is really a very simple one, but it's one that we get in reverse. We get it wrong every once in a while. The first principle is all that we have comes from God. All that we have comes from God. Now, we like to think of it the other way. We think we've got what God needs, but that's not the way it is. In the Old Testament, King David wanted to build the temple. 
But God said, no, you're a man of war, and I don't want you to build the temple. I want your son Solomon to build the temple. But I want you to gather all of the resources so that the temple can be built. And so David gave much of his own resource, and the children of Israel gave their resources so that the temple could be built. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, this is what we read. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Not just a few things, not just the things that are being given for the rebuilding of the temple, but everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we give you only what comes from your hand. Not just a few things, not just the things that we want to give back to God, but everything comes from God. Now, we get that in reverse. We think that we have stuff that God needs, but the reality is, is that all of our stuff really is God's stuff. You know, it's not ours to begin with. He gives it to us. It's not our stuff. It's His stuff. And He asks us to be the managers of it, the stewards of it, the caretakers of it. And that's what He expects of us. He wants us to manage it well. Jesus talks about this and this role of being the manager in Luke chapter 12, verses, starting at verse 42. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions." So the picture is, you have the master, he picks out one of his servants, and he says, I'm going to put you in charge, and I'm going to give you what you need to provide for the other servants. If you do that well, if you are wise and faithful, then when I come back, I will give you all of my possessions to manage. It's a pretty nice offer. But he goes on, and he says, but suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So the, the story goes on, and he says, if you, as the servant that I put in charge of as my manager, if you misuse what I give to you and you use it and you misuse and you beat the servants, and then you take what I have given to you and you use it for yourself to eat and drink and in excess and get drunk, 
then I'm going to punish you. And the punishment is a lot worse than flopping on the hood of your car. The punishment is being cut to pieces and being given a place with the unbelievers. So Jesus is saying, I want people to be good managers of the things that they receive. And we receive everything from the hand of God. That leads us to the second principle. The tithe is the life-giving foundational responsibility in our role as a manager of God's stuff. When we manage correctly, it leads us to life. It's very simple. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, God takes Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the garden of Eden to take care of it. Now, Adam and Eve, they knew that everything that was in that garden, God had made. Obviously, he had just created it. And he puts Adam and Eve in the garden to take care of it, to manage it. But in doing that, he says to them, there is one thing that I want from you, and that is I want you to acknowledge that everything here belongs to me by not eating of that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you do that, you will die. So as long as they managed well and understood that this was all God's stuff and they couldn't touch that one tree, and they took care of the rest of God's stuff and they did it well, they lived. But if they got in their mind that that one tree was theirs and they began treating it like they owned it and therefore they could do what they wanted with it, they would die. When we manage God's stuff well, it leads to life. When we don't manage it well, it leads to death. Now, we come into the New Testament, and and in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says to Timothy, who's a young leader, he says, "'Command those who are rich in this present world, those to whom I have given much,' Not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. To put their hope in wealth, it's uncertain. That's not going to be managing well. But to put their hope in God. Because if their focus was on God, they would manage well. And it is God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So it not only just leads to life, but it leads to a very enjoyable life when we manage well the things that God has given to us. And we manage well by giving the tithe. That's the foundational principle. We manage well when we give one-tenth of what God has given to us and give it back to Him. That's managing well. Now, See, God started teaching us about this back in the Old Testament. Some people think, well, the, 
the law is where you find about the tithe. But no, the tithe starts back with Abraham and Jacob. They both tithed. And it is in the law. But then when you come into the New Testament, Jesus talks about the tithe. He's speaking to the Pharisees, and he says to them that they should tithe, and also, on top of tithing, they should give mercy, justice, and faithfulness. Now, Jesus is doing something that he does on a number, in a number of different areas. He goes back to the law, and he does not negate the law, but he extends it and applies it in a very practical and personal way. For instance... In the Old Testament, we read that we are not to murder, right? One of the Ten Commandments. It's part of the law. But Jesus says that if we hate our brother, we have murdered him in our heart. Now, Jesus is not negating the law. There isn't anybody in this room who would say that because the, the law that thou shalt not murder is in the Old Testament, uh, that we shouldn't pay any attention to it today. No. And and Jesus does not negate it, but rather he takes it and he extends it and he gives it a different application, a new application. And he says, you can't even hate somebody because that's murdering them in your heart. And he's making a much more personal, practical application of the Old Testament law. And that's what he does with the Pharisees. Because for the Pharisees, showing mercy and justice and faithfulness was what they had a struggle with. And so he's saying, I'm not negating the Old Testament concept of the tithe. You should tithe, and here's how you should also apply that. You should apply it by giving mercy and justice and faithfulness. So Jesus never negates the Old Testament law. He always extends it and applies it. But here's the interesting thing. In the New Testament, we read more about giving than tithing. Why is that? I believe it's because God assumes that as believers, as followers after Jesus, we will tithe. We are just then simply returning to Him what already belongs to Him in a way that so that we acknowledge that we understand that everything that we have comes from God. We are just returning it. We really aren't giving Him anything because He owns it already. We're just giving it back in an acknowledgement that it belongs to Him. Let's watch this video. God said, begin to give. And I said, well, Lord, what, what do you mean, uh, begin to give? I said, I said, I tithe. He said, mm, tithing's not giving. Tithing is returning. You know, if, uh, if uh, uh, Pastor Rob said to me, uh, hey, I, can I borrow your car? My car's in the shop. Can I borrow your car? So I said, sure. So I give him the keys. And, uh, you know, a week later, he comes to me and says, listen, Beck and I have been praying, and uh, we'd like to give you this car. I'd say, uh, are those my keys? 
yeah, they're, they're, these are your keys, but uh, we, we, we want to give it to you. I say, you're not giving me my car. You're returning my car. And a lot of people believe that when they tithe, they're giving to God. But you're not giving yet. You're only returning. Giving is when you give over and above. So the Lord said, give over and above. I said, well, Lord, what, what, how will I know what to give? How will I know when to give? How will I know where to give? How, how will I know? He said, and listen, this is so simple. He said, I'll tell you. My sheep hear my voice. tithe is just returning to God what belongs to him. And in the New Testament, we hear a lot more about giving, going beyond the tithe. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We are to excel in the grace of giving. Now, giving the tithe is part of the law, but excelling in giving is part of grace. Grace always goes beyond the law. And Paul is simply encouraging the Corinthians to excel in the grace of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we're giving reluctantly or under compulsion, that can just be the compulsion of the tithe. But God wants us to go beyond that and give cheerfully. And you may say, but But Peter, there's a little problem here because I have a mortgage payment, have two car payments, have utilities, got to get groceries, buy some clothes, pay for the kid's college, and on and on we go. I can't afford afford to do that. I haven't read 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 yet. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Now, he's saying this after he talks about the cheerful giver. The cheerful giver is the one that he is able to bless abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Wow. What Paul is saying is that when we give cheerfully, God provides everything that we need at all times. Let me illustrate all of this principle to you. I have in my hand three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There was a number 10 in there. There it is. Ten $1 bills. Now, let's suppose that I had a friend up here, and we'll call him George since his picture is here. And, uh, and I said to my friend George, George, that's my money, but I want you to have it and uh, use it as you see fit. But George, 
just before you go too far, um, because that is my money and I gave it to you, I would like for you to acknowledge that you know that it's my money and that I gave it to you by giving me one dollar back. Well, George thinks for a minute and says, hey, that's still a pretty good deal, so sure, there's your dollar. Now, at this point, George has nine of my dollars and I have one. Who's generous, George or me? Obviously, George. No, obviously me. Because I have one dollar back, George still has nine. He's given me the tithe to show me that he understands that these nine dollars were mine, I gave them to him, they came from me. But then I say to George, George, you know, there's some people that I would like to help. And in order to be able to help them, I could use more than just one dollar. George, I want you to think about it, and you decide in your heart what you would like to do so that I can help other people. So George thinks about it for a minute, and he says, okay, I'll give you two more. Okay, now I have three. George has seven. See, I'm pretty good at math, huh? And, and it, we would still say, well, wait a minute, I'm the generous one because George has seven of my dollars and I have three. But I say to George, George, I want you to know that I'm very pleased that you were willing to give me $2. And I consider that to be very generous because you didn't have to. I told you that the nine was yours to use as you wished. You already proved to me that you understood that it came from me. But then, as you considered what would have been a good thing to do as a cheerful giver, he gave me two more. And that's exactly what God does for us. When we give, we give him the tithe to show him that we understand everything comes from him. That's the foundation. But then to be a cheerful giver, to excel in the grace of giving, as God leads us, we give over and above the tithe. Now, you may say, okay, well, that's good, but how do I do it? Because I always come on Sunday morning and I forget my checkbook. And, and I reach in my pocket and I have $10 and I've got to go have lunch at Taco Bell. So that leaves me with about three. Actually, actually because I can get a senior's discount, I get $4 back. That doesn't give me a whole lot to give. So, don't rely on what's in your pocket. You know, last week, Pastor Glenn talked about how his father, every Saturday night, after he prepared his Sunday school lesson, would sit and write out the check and prepare it for giving on Sunday morning. Jere and I, we give online. And the reason we give online is because we know that it's automatic and it comes out at the beginning of the month. And we aren't going to miss. It's going to keep going. 
And if, if you want to do that in the, at the end of the outline, the study outline, there's a little section there that tells you how to go online and sign up for, for online giving. Or if you prefer to give in a service, but you keep forgetting your checkbook, how many of you still, though, you might forget your checkbook, but you remember your phone? Yeah, just about everybody probably here. Well, you can text to give. You can download an app. You can give in about 10 seconds. While that plate's going down, the, down your row, you can accomplish your giving. And the instructions for that are there as well. And the point is simply that if we want to be good managers of what God has given to us, we will pay attention to how it is that we give and we will make sure that we are doing that in a faithful and wise way. Well, principle number three, the tithe is a test. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart follows the treasure. Now, it's interesting that throughout Scripture, the number 10 is often associated with a test. And the tithe is a tenth. It's a tenth, a tenth part of what we receive from God. And you go back into the Old Testament, there were ten plagues that tested Pharaoh. There are ten commandments that test our obedience. Israel was tested ten times as they wandered in the wilderness. Uh, Daniel was tested for ten days. In the New Testament, in Revelation, all the way through to Revelation, there are ten days of testing. And so the tithe is the tenth is a test of our obedience to God. And yet there's, a, there's another side to that coin because in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The tithe is our test, but it's also God's test. It also allows us to test God and say to God, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to test you. That leads us to principle number four. The tithe brings blessing. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on Malachi chapter 3, and then I want to read a fairly lengthy passage from it. The prophet Malachi was speaking to the children of Israel who were coming back to the land. They were rebuilding much of what had been destroyed when they were taken into captivity, but they were still out of relationship with God. They still had not come to that place where they had a right relationship, an obedient relationship with God. And so Malachi's message is a message about how to come back into that right relationship with God. And here's what we read in Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. This is God speaking. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. So this is the message. 
Return to God. Come back into a right relationship with him. But you ask, how are we to return? Then God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In other words, the children of Israel are saying, well, wait a minute. Are you saying, God, that we are out of relationship with you because we are robbing from you? How are we robbing from you? God continues. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And then he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty." Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God simply says, bring the tithes, get back into a right relationship with me, and I will bless you. And I'm here to say that God's blessings can be really amazing, mind-boggling at times. When Dre and I were first married, we went to pastor a small church in central Illinois. And we lived in the parsonage, which was the house right next door to the church. And um, it was a small kitchen with no dishwasher. And we entertained some. So we thought if we could afford one luxury, it would be a dishwasher, an automatic dishwasher, which I kind of liked because if we didn't have the automatic dishwasher, I was the non-automatic dishwasher. So it was a good thing. So we bought this automatic dishwasher, and a few years later, we moved to California. We bought our first home. There's a picture of the dishwasher, and uh, that's not our kitchen, by the way, but uh, some kitchens back then looked like that, I guess. Um, But we get to California. We buy our first house. It's got a small kitchen, no dishwasher. Not to worry. We had a dishwasher. So we put the dishwasher in place, and we use it and use it and use it. And one day it decides not to work. Well, we didn't have a lot of money. So I thought, I'm going to fix the dishwasher. So I got my tools out, and I got the top off, and I got the front of that panel off. Do you have any idea how many wires there are inside a dishwasher? And I looked at those wires, and I thought, well, that one goes over there somewhere. And that one goes over there somewhere. And I stared at them for a few minutes, and then I had it all figured out. I didn't have a clue how to fix it. So I put that panel back on, put the top back on. Didn't have any parts left over, which I thought was a good sign. Hooked it up, turned it on. It worked. I didn't fix the dishwasher. God fixed the dishwasher. You say, God doesn't fix dishwashers. Well, wait a minute. Look at what this says in verse 11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, 
and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. Now, that was an agrarian society, so when God was going to do something really special and unusual, he did it related to their their crops. But I wasn't a farmer. I had this house, and I had this dishwasher. I had technology, (laughs) and God fixed it. And I tell that story because over and over and over again, Jure and I have experienced God's blessings in those ways where we just kind of stand back and say, well, God had to do that. We don't know how he did it, but he had to do it. There was one time when we let our brand new car be used in ministry with kids and our gas mileage improved. I have no way to explain it other than that God honored us and blessed us. And over and over and over again, we had those kinds of experience, that kind of blessing from God. There are so many other ways in which we are blessed when we give. Did you know that when you give, you begin to better understand the character of God? Yeah, God is a giver. And if you want to understand the character of God, you do something that he does as part of his character. If we want to understand more about the love of God, we love. If you want to understand more about the giving nature of God, you give. Giving allows you to understand more about the character of God. Giving brings freedom. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, command them to do good, that is to the rich people, wealthy people, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. In other words, if you're giving, you're doing something for not just for this life, but also for the future life, so that they may be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. If you want really, truly life, if you want freedom in this life, you give. Now, some of you may be saying, you know, this is all well and good, but my life's pretty good right now. I don't really tithe or give. Occasionally, I put something in the offering plate, but life's pretty good. I have a roof over my head. I get three meals a day, and, you know, I'm doing okay, have a decent job, all of that. But here's what you're missing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, And what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. I can remember as a boy about 10 years old, sitting on the porch of the house that I grew up in. Life was pretty good. Didn't have to worry about the mortgage payments because my folks took care of that. Got three meals a day. Had a good school. Nice park up the street that we could go play in, a forest we could go hike in. Occasionally, my dad would take us to ball games. We'd flood our backyard in the winter and go play hockey all winter long. It's a pretty good life. But I can remember sitting there thinking, I wonder what God has out there 
for me. And my mind could not possibly have conceived what God had in store for me. And I don't care what stage of life you're in. You cannot possibly conceive of what God has in store for you. Whatever place you are in life, if you will love him and obey him, particularly in this area of giving, tithing and giving, you have no idea, it has not entered into your mind what God has prepared for you. Let me give you two challenges. Challenge number one, if you aren't tithing, just do it. (laughs) It's a pretty simple challenge. Just try it and see what God does. Second challenge, you say, I'm not convinced. I'm not ready to take up the first challenge. Take the second challenge. All of the scriptures that we read this morning are in your outline. Take that home and every day read through all of those scriptures and ask God to speak to you through those scriptures. And at the end of the week, do what he has told you to do. I hope you hear my heart. Understand my heart. God has blessed Jeray and me in so many ways. And I would like everybody in this room to experience that blessing. And there's no reason why we shouldn't. Actually, the reason that we don't is we hold on to the soda. We hold on to that thing that's just not that important instead of giving to God what he asks us to give. And I don't want people here to do a belly flop in life. I want you to experience the blessings that God has for you. And you can if you let go and give. Let's stand and pray as we dismiss. Father, at at this particular time of year, how clear it is that this is a time of thanksgiving and how important it is for us to express to you our our thanks. And Father, we would pray that as we hear your word speak to us about our tithing and about our giving, that you would challenge us and and that we would be obedient. And we thank you that, that you give to us blessings as we are obedient to you. And so, Father, I pray that as we leave this place this morning, we would go and walk in obedience this week and do what you ask of us to do so that we might be the recipients of the blessings that come only from your hand. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for all that you are doing in our lives, and we trust you, and we know that you love us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.